Welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we bring real, raw, relevant issues to the table from a woman's perspective with wit and wisdom. I'm so happy that you're here today because I have a very special guest that is also one of my very close friends. I love her dearly and I've known her for about eight years and she is a warrior. If I could ever talk about anyone being a warrior, this woman is a fighter. She's a survivor of trafficking and she's changing the world as we know it. You guys, welcome my friend, Annie Dunwall. Annie, yay, I'm so glad you're here today. Having me. You're welcome. You look so cute with your little bun on your head. (laughs) Girl, quick hair. You look cute matching your um, furniture. I know. I, I, you know, I love my, you know, I love my colors and all that. Dude, listen, I I remember meeting you and it was down in, I think it was Dallas. And I think we met in Dallas. I I saw you somewhere before that online because you (laughs) You were, I think you were writing your book or it was a getting ready to come out. Um, and, and I think you were on, you might've been on television at that time before I met you. And I was like, this girl is a no nonsense person. And she's a, she's going to like light up the world and, and be a bunch of fire. And, um, we met at a conference, right? (laughs) It was a conference and we were training. You and I were, uh, paid to train people that were wanting to do outreach at the strip clubs. And I believe it was a triple X training, right? Can you tell me about that? Because when I first saw you, I was like, this girl. (laughs) So ironically, I saw you before we were both keynotes. Getting everything ready and set up for the organization that, you know, God had put on my start. And I wanted to quit. And I I felt like God was like, okay. And I turned the TV on, which was crazy because I don't, I don't normally watch television. And um, there you were doing an interview. And I said, man, she's doing this. I looked you up. I started researching and you were no nonsense. You know what I mean? And I, I think that a lot of girls like us are, were no nonsense because we know where we came from and we know who got us out. So yeah. Then we met in Dallas all those years later in the lobby. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just walked up and introduced myself. I don't remember what I said. I think you do. No, I wasn't I very friendly, remember, but no, you, you, the way you were, okay, there's a look that a lot of, and, and ladies that you're watching right now, whether you've been in the industry of the sex industry, or you've been a woman in high school or in college or in a bar somewhere or in an office atmosphere, there's a look that us women give each other when we first meet yeah. each other. If we're not sure, we're not sure we were trying to size up that person, but not only that, we're just trying to see if that person really has that heart and that we're looking in their eyes. And so, uh, just the look that I think that Annie had towards me, it was a little was- bit like, <laughs> it was like, mm, I wonder if this one's real. <laughs> and it, it was cool though, because we just became uh, that like that day we started talking and uh, just a lot of respect to you and honor you to Annie, because I know you've done a lot of work and you've been through so much in your life. And I, I wanted to say that to you because I want to honor your journey and where you've been in your life, because it, I know it hasn't been easy, but you're, you're extremely beautiful. You're very well, uh, well articulated. You're intelligent. You're actually, you see things in the future. I mean, you're, you're prophetic. You have a prophetic gift that is astounding and uh you're a prayer warrior and i just really 
love that you're in my life, but also in other survivors' lives and not just survivors, just people. You're an encourager. You, you have people in your life that you help along that are losing their faith. And it's funny that you say that I felt like I wanted to give up, but God told me. It's like, dude, I have felt that so many times. But I want to get to your story because it's like really unique. Like we're talking today about trafficking and specifically sexual exploitation. But yours did not start at the strip club and it did not start after the strip club, when you became a call girl, it started before that. Can you talk to us about that? You know, I think this is one of the common myths that you and I have a tendency to have to combat with the general public is that, you know, coming out of the sex industry and, and being the survivor of trafficking, there's all these myths of who we are and, you know, what we're like. And I think for so many years, you know, there was this stigma about girls like us that we were those girls and to stay away from those girls, especially from the church, you know, we were demonized in a way without the general public and, and church in general recognizing like when we were little kids, there were things that happened. Do you know what I mean? Nobody walks into the street, you know, and everybody says this, this became like a catchphrase. Like nobody grows up wanting to be in the sex industry, which is true, but nobody walks in there and senses that it's normal unless there's violation of what's happened when they were, when they were little, whether they remember it or not. And, and, you know, my journey is just that there was familial trafficking going on. I did not come out with this in my in my book originally um, to protect people that I never should have protected. And, um, you know, as fate would have it, I walked in the strip club and felt, you know, and coming from the family that I came from, you know, and um, it was it was taboo and it was controversial, but it was um, it was normal. Wow. So, so you're saying that your family was, you know, your entry basically the first time is being exploited anyway. Yeah, there was a lot of sexual abuse as a child. Um, like I said, I have not, this is the first time, basically, maybe the second publicly talking about it, you know, familial trafficking, I think is way more common than people know. Yes. We look at the trafficking and we say, you know, trafficking is um, being in the foster care, which it is. Trafficking is happening overseas, which it is. But um, the more we dig and the more people are finding out about girls like us, right, the more they're finding out that actually it's the traffickers are everyday people. They can be coaches. They can be teachers. They can be these people, but they have access to children. Well, who has the most access to children other than family, Right. Who, who are you not going to tell her? Who is it the easiest to groom? Children of right. the family. Right? right. So I think that this is a really understudied people group because it's so shameful. You know, incest is so shameful and it's and it's not something that people want to just come out and, and tell on their their relatives, whether it be their parents or their siblings or, you know, aunts and uncles, grandparents, whatever it is. But the amount of stories that I've heard from girls that I work with, and I'm sure you can touch base right here with me is that this is probably the most common factor that a lot of us hold, not all of us, but a lot of us hold. Right. Right. And then, you know what you growing up in that family atmosphere. And I, I talk about this with my own family, even though it wasn't sexual with my family, the, the, the fear and the danger that you felt while you're in your family, even though it, it became this complete trauma bond, right that you have to grow up into. And how does anyone expect anyone to be normalized? Like as far as a normal human being, when they're, they've been sexually abused, now they go into their real life 
and they're acting out sexually. What do they expect? I mean, did you act out sexually when you got a little older, like in your teens? I mean, I was hypersexual. I've talked to um, friends of mine, you know, that were friends with, of, with me when I was 12, 13, just hitting puberty. Right. And they were like, you were hypersex hypersexual and nobody questioned it. Nobody stopped it. And I, I think now, even in this day and age, like with all of the hypersexuality that's just been accepted in the culture, who's, you know what I mean? It's kind of hard to say. We don't stick out as much as, as we did, you know, in the, in the eighties. That's a really good point. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, look at Instagram, look at all of our different pictures that are online and, and any television, TV show, show that's online podcasts. There is this, this, this normalization of like, oh, I'm just going to be sexy and take my shirt and make it come all the way down to my belly button. Right. I was half naked for free on the internet because culturally we're conditioning people, you know, young girls and young boys to say, this is what, this is what makes you feminine. This is, this defines your femininity, right? This defines your masculinity as if you exploit women and use them and see them as objects. Right. So right. I, as I stuck out then, I probably wouldn't have stuck out now. I probably would have just had a really large following on Instagram. <laughs> right. You could, we could, we could have both actually probably made a lot of followers before we decided to give our lives to God. Right. Like it's like, Oh, I could get a lot of men, but I'm, I'm being honest with you that it, even though that could have been something that we could have done, like, do we want them type of followers that are buyers? <laughs> I mean, I guess I could try to convert them, but uh-uh. That's yeah. That's between them and God. My thing goes like this too, is that I think that uh, the lie that's being fed in the church <clears throat> is to see a girl, you know, a young girl, 12, 13, and she might be text hopefully in churches, it's a little bit more pronounced. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. We went to church when I was little, but it started interfering with other things. And so, um, I, I think that it, hopefully in the light of today's Christian culture, if a girl was to act hypersexual, because here's the thing, when you're hypersexual, you're operating out of a place of familiarity. You don't recognize that it's wrong. It's normal to you. Right. And so when these girls do this, rather than shunning them and shaming them, we recognize that this is a place that they've been exposed to way too early. And I, I think that the church is, is missing it a tad. And, and we've, again, we've demonized girls, right? So now we have right. this new word, sex trafficking, and we can help those girls. But what about the girls in house? Because a lot of times church girls, pastors, kids, you know, prominent people in, in what society would deem prominent or what the church would deem prominent. There's tons of sex trafficking going on, right? Hiding in plain sight. And, you know, it, it gives, I think that it begs the question, what are we doing with the girls in-house? Are we asking the right questions? Are we, are we looking, are we protecting them? Are we teaching our young boys, right? To like not exploit them. That's not what makes you a man. What makes you a man is protecting them. You know, right, I, right. I think that been a bit more. So can you tell me how you got out? I mean, I, I want you to share that scripture that really lit up when you were reading it. So I had two exoduses, exodi, I don't know, two times <laughs> I got, I don't know the plural. Um, when I got out of the adult entertainment industry, so when I was escorting, when I was, I was dancing mainly um, at strip clubs, even in Vegas, I might've seen you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I, um, and in, I mean, I was everywhere. I was in Detroit, Chicago, all over Michigan, um, <clears throat> and then out to Vegas. But um, I was an atheist 
self-proclaimed. And, you know, because I was like, if there's such a thing as God, he doesn't care about me. So I have to deny a holy God with with the condition of my life because it 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 appeared as if I was not loved. I didn't understand that I was in the middle of a setup for him to show up. But um, I a sequence of events happened. I almost aborted my son. And I the running joke was that I was the praying atheist. Right. And I just said, God, I don't know if you're real, but. If you are, you know, I, I don't think you want me to keep this abortion appointment. And um, but I'm not going to be the one to stop it. You stop it. And I had to make five different appointments and they all got canceled. And so God was very loud. I mean, that's a really short rendition of the story. God got really loud and showing me like I am real and I can hear you. And so as I sought him out, like, well, who are you? Are you Buddha? Are you Muhammad? I was like, you're definitely not Jesus, because the Christians that had told me about him, they all told me I was going to hell. And I'm like, thanks for the weather report. I'm standing in the rain. I'm already in hell, right? Like I don't, I send me somewhere I'm standing. And so, um, it wasn't until I was on the phone and, and a Bible scripture popped in my head and I'd never read the Bible. Um, and it was Matthew 4, 16 and it was just really loud. Matthew 4, 16, like when a song gets stuck in your head, um, you know, and, and I was talking to someone and they said, well, that I said, who the blah, blah, blah is Matthew. Probably not. (laughs) Who the heck is Matthew? (laughs) is and she said well that sounds like a bible scripture and i was like here we go with this and she looked it up and it said um those that sit in have sat in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the shadow of death light has dawned and i was like no idea Mm. i got off the phone it was 24 hours later i was sitting in my car and i was buckling my my seatbelt ironically And uh, I went, I get it. That was my confession of faith. So for those of us that feel like we need to go pass out tracks in order for people to get saved, my confession of faith, you know, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. My confession was, I get it. You know, so there was no formula or no, nobody could really take credit for it because I was sitting in the, in the car by myself. But in that moment, I knew he was real and I knew it was him that was keeping me. I knew that it was him, you know, different times I, I could look back and think about, when I was in dangerous situations and it was like, get out of here. And I would hear it in my, not right. audibly, but right. In my- uh, it, it, it didn't matter if you hear it audibly, that's fine. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just picturing you in that car and I'm getting emotional for you. Um, how Don't he start plucked crying you, make- dude, listen, Annie, but how he plucked you out. It, it's just, it's so personal. It's just so you know, like it was, it was, it was, it was planned. I mean, it's a, God always has this amazing plan that we, we can't even see. And, yeah. and he knew that you would stop at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then he knew you were going to do what you're doing now and what you've done yeah. before. And so there's reasons that, that God does that. I mean, obviously you're marked by him and what, what a blessing. So, um, the next thing after you had that, I mean, obviously you had your son, which I've met. He's a very smart kid. I mean, he's almost a man now, right? He's getting older. <laughs> it's like, yeah. he's okay. such a neat. <laughs> I, it went that, I mean, it was like that fast. I can always remember how long I've been a Christian because this was a month. He was a month old. So Wow. Yeah. And you had him and then you started, did you start like reading your Bible? What happened? Did you start going to church? I mean, I felt like the Bible was like Jumanji, right? I'm like, if this oh, book. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so good, dude. Jumanji. 
like this is like this is coming to life because it's the mm-hmm. living word. I knew nothing. So, you know, I got a hold of a Bible and, and in three weeks I read the New Testament because I was like this. This is the thing I've been looking for. It wasn't the sex. It wasn't the drugs. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the way that I look. It had nothing to. It was like this. This Man. is what I've been looking for. And I I feel like there's a lot of people searching, even Christians. Right. That, that are searching. They're like, this can't be it because they've settled for for a, a religion that isn't bringing them any life. It, you know, they've reduced their Christianity down to a Sunday morning activity. But the way he showed up to me was like at like 10 o'clock at night in my car, you know, so it became a lifestyle for me. I didn't know any better. And I mean, I went to church. I, anytime the church was open, I was in it. You know, right. they probably thought I was nuts. Who cares? Mm. I think that's the greatest thing. The greatest testimony is to walk in and people think you're nuts. It's like, oh, well, deal with your stuff. I'll deal with mine. Thank yeah, you. And it, <laughs> they thought, so sure. Yeah. You, you know what? The other thing is, is that after that you got saved and you started just your life changed radically, you started Eve's Angels. T- talk about that. It was about three years later, um, I was working, I was serving because, you know, the church leadership had recognized that I had a calling and I was like, mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm just kind of happy not to be going to hell at this point. And <laughs> I know him. So like, <laughs> and I was like feeling, so they, they had me serving or like, we don't know what God is going to do with us. So they had me serving in the children's ministry, which nobody was hearing from God on that, but I was taking <laughs> little cups filling up with goldfish and handing them to children. Like I am not graced for this, but I, I was praying at that time. I'm like, you did not save me from all of that back over there for this. Like you saved me from this for something. What's the for something in? And that was the question. I think this is another thing. There's spiritual laws, just like there's physical laws, right? There's gravity. It's a physical law. There's spiritual laws that are in the Bible. And one of them is you have not because you ask not. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't understand what the right is. The good news is, is that we have the spirit of truth that can lead us into all truth where we can ask the Holy Spirit, what is the question I need to be asking? Sometimes we're just not asking the right question. We're like, well, God doesn't care about me or God's ignoring me. No, he's not. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to get the wisdom and ask for wisdom so you can ask the right question. And the right question for me was, what did you save me for? What is the for something? And, um, you know, I went on a five-day fast because I was a tad religious, but I was definitely relentless. And (laughs) I... Yeah. You know, I read enough and we up and he he was merciful because it has nothing to do with my works. Um so I, I was chasing him and he revealed it. He was like, I want you to go back to the places that I got you out of and and I want you to tell them that I love them. And I was like, No, I'm not I don't know, you know, when you got your calling, I don't know how you felt about it. I wasn't thrilled. <laughs> it was like, I don't well, you know, and I had just finally arrived in my religious mindset. Like I knew when to say amen. You know, they were like, oh, you're, you know, you have a calling. So I'm thinking like, I can't tell them where I came from. They'll definitely not accept me then. I don't know if I'm sure you've had these experiences. Yeah, yeah. People, people stare at you with looks on their face while you're telling your story in front of the church. It's like either they're fascinated or they're like appalled or they're really sympathetic, you know, compassionate. So there's, (laughs) yeah. And, uh, but then what happened? You, you started working with women like you? Fought God and he won. And so then that's when I saw, you know, I was working, I didn't have any money. I mean, I had $12, 
It was $25 to become incorporated. And God said, do you trust me? I, for the fact that you have to ask, I guess I don't, but I'm going to have to learn to. And I have had to, <laughs> I've had to learn, you know, ministry takes us through some things, but um, I started, my first idea was to have a safe home. Um, I closed my eyes and was praying and I was like, it's going to, it's going to be able to hold up to 20 women. Um, you know, I, it's going to be in the middle of nowhere. It looks like a campus. I was like, it has more than one building on it. And it's got like a body of water. You know, I just was like these details and that's all I had. And, and then as fate would have it, think, you know, God would do what he does. Um, he had to build me up to be able to hold that kind of project. So I, long story short, about a year into having all the paperwork done and everything, a church invited me to start off doing what I knew to do, which was outreach. And so I started these outreach groups in the Midwest where this was definitely taboo and there was no word trafficking yet. So, we, you know, I would go and be like, I was a sex worker and Jesus saved me. And they're like, please stop talking to me. Please stop. You know, the Christian church didn't want to hear the word sex yeah. was like, no, yeah, don't um, talk about yeah, it. Mm. Not say that. Um, usually because the, I, you know, as you find out later on, they're struggling with porn and they need prayer yes. too. Yes. And so, as, as it went, you know, I started with one city and then I did some work in Ohio and it ended up in the news, national news. And then all these cities were popping up in the Midwest, like we want this here. And, and then, you know, trafficking became a buzzword and everybody was jumping on board a lot of times for the federal money, unfortunately. So it's re-exploitation. And then, right. um, and then, um, you know, the, the, the movement had started. I started working with a Senator here in the state and I wrote some books and then um, in 2016, yeah, talk about that. Talk about your book, the books that you which written, one? so we can share. So I've written two Bible studies. Um, you know, as Eve's was expanding, I recognized quickly I can't be in cities at once. You know, we ended up with five cities in Michigan, three in Illinois, one in Indiana, two in in Florida, and so I was like, well, I, you know, I'm one person, so I had I wrote it out of necessity. You know, and then I had to write another one, these Bible studies, and I wanted them all to be congruent. So that way, all of Eve's angels um, outreaches were, were studying and, and moving at the same thing and doing the same thing. So there was 11 cities. And then um, so I sorry, I had two. I had my two Bible studies that were going in the 11 cities. And then my third book, I had an opportunity. I got a book deal with Simon and Schuster and I wrote um, my memoir. Um, and that was in 2014 i believe that came out and then my final book was so far dancing was, with the devil right is it called dancing with the devil the devil yeah mm -hmm. okay and then, and then my the last other one is 27 yeah, the seconds, other one so. yeah yep 27 seconds it is I wrote what that is, in 2000 27 seconds is basically every 27 seconds what well this is what I found out after I named it. So when I was getting, when I was raising the money for the safe home, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't like, I was like, I went into exhaustion because I had to raise a lot of money really, really fast in order to secure the property and get the money for the, for the, um, um for the staff and, and everything that needed to be paid mm -hmm, for. Mm -hmm. So I had talked to a friend of mine who he was dating a single mother and he was getting introduced to her son and he would have these little fits. And he said, look, little boy, I'm not going to tell you not to cry. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. You can cry for 30 seconds and then we're going to get up and we're going to, and I was like, that is genius. So when I was raising the money for the safe home, I wanted to cry because I was like the burden of, I've got to secure this property because I, there's women that I'm carrying that I don't even know yet. But I was like, I don't have time. And that story came into my head. Like, 
hey, listen, you've, you can cry. You've got 30. And I was like, well, if the little boy can cry in 30 seconds, I surely can knock this down to 27. I'm a grown woman, you know? So I would time myself to cry. I mean, I was sleeping like four hours a night and I, because I had to secure an incredible amount of money um, in a very short, like I said, in a short period of time. And, and um, I did it and got exhausted. We, we bought the safe home and then, you know, so I named the book 27 seconds because when people read it and they find out the true facts, you know, we put 472 citations in there, they're going to want to cry and they're not going to want to do what they need to do, but they need to get educated. Education is a huge component yes, of what trafficking I agree. is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, Annie, I, I just want to thank you today. Our, our time's up. I'm so sorry. I wish I could keep talking to you, but listen, tell everybody where they can find you, your website, and then where your books are available and how they can get a hold of you. The books are on Amazon. You can get those. Um, and you can get a hold of us on evesangels.org. Um, there's a fill out sheet. If you're a survivor, we'll pray for you. You know, we have a team of people that pray and, um, you know, if you need resources or, or just somebody to connect to. Yeah, that's great. And then also social media, you're on Facebook, you're, you're on Twitter, um, and hopefully some other ones coming soon because all of us are signing up for new sites. <laughs> yep. Yeah, girl, I love with you, that. man. You'll, you'll have, you'll have to come it. back on. I, I just, I really, I feel like we didn't get everything covered, but it's okay because there's more time and there's more shows. So I just want to honor you for what you've gone through and what you're doing now. And I just want to thank you for coming on Annie's Pink Chair today. And we love you, Annie. So we'll we love see you, you soon, okay? <laughs> Hi, friends. Today we were talking about familia trafficking. And I just wanted to encourage you that if you're interested in learning more about any type of trafficking, I have a great memoir that I wrote called Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. This memoir reads like a movie. You will not be able to put it down. I also have narrated this book in my own voice. My husband recorded it. And trust me, if you listen to this on a CD player or actually driving in your car, you will not be able to stop listening to it. It is so good. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote it. You can reach and buy this on Amazon or our website, which is hookersforjesus.net. It's also available in Spanish. And when you buy this book, this memoir, you are helping educate yourself of human trafficking and also being that person that takes action and actually does something. Thank you very much. Hi friends, it's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair and I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here, the peace, the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees, This is what each woman comes to when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. I'm Nikki, I'm the Education Outreach Coordinator. Um, I've seen girls come in here and just broken, just in need of something. And we give them a gift box when they first arrive and then the look on their face, because their traffickers taken everything from them, the look on their face is just amazing and precious and just watching them grow in Christ throughout their journey here is incredible. 
would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much.